Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to another edition of The Way of Panoa. Hey! I think I may have finally got the iTunes situation corrected. I don't know, but we're going to see how this works. It's September! Like, oh my gosh! It's almost... We're almost to the end of 2018. This is insane. We're in the thick of midterms. There's so much going on. There's so many people doing amazing work. We have elections that have been happening, elections that are still coming. I mean, you know, the final battle royale tomorrow, Thursday, September 13th, will be happening in New York. I mean, whatever you think of the Cuomo-Nixon, you know, battle, it, it, it is really going to be an interesting shift. Um, just, you know, some, 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 some just thoughts from the field. Apparently, New York is still up to its old shenanigans. I remember, you know, folks back in 2016, a huge issue with people, like, all of a sudden their voter registration was changed. Somehow, oops, it's happened again. Um, the, I mean, the only report I know of right now is my good friend and dear co-host of the new show, WTTCA, new podcast with myself and Michael Salomon. Um, you know, welcome to the conversation asshole yeah i love it i mean it's, it's good conversation we have three episodes up check us out on itunes definitely like subscribe to that and make sure you have liked and subscribed to the way with the noah as well I'm really excited that you know solomon's got me back on track and we were doing regular content but um so much is happening but what, one thing that happened was just you know he went and because he knows since what happened to him in 2016 he ended up having to go get a court order and it was like all this whole long for long thing it looks like he's having to do the same process again two years later to be able to vote in this primary tomorrow. And it's insane because this is New York and it shouldn't be this difficult for people to vote anywhere. But in these great liberal bastions, it really shouldn't be difficult, right? At least that's what we think. So anyway, so really excited for the work that we're doing and I'm rooting for him. So hopefully he can get that resolved today and be able to vote no problem in tomorrow's primary. But, you know, there's been a lot happening. So last week I had this really amazing discussion with, with Q um, from, you know, one of my amazing Twitter chat buddies. Um, really? Are you having a podcast where you talk to people from Twitter? Hey, there are some really great minds on Twitter, on social media, right? That's one of the great things about social media is that we've been able to connect with such really thoughtful, you know, analyzers of content and thought. And it's great. At the same time, social media is also the same bane of our existence because everybody thinks that they have a valid point and should be heard or they're an expert trust me you can i i let you guys know all nine never ever ever treat anything i say as the gospel i am not an expert i'm just a passionate freeborn black woman out here doing this work full time now for three whole months yay me um yeah so we have a lot to do there's a lot going on I just wanted to weigh in a little bit. So Q and I had this really great conversation that you're going to hear in a few minutes, but I really wanted to weigh in a little bit on what has happened since we were discussing, you know, Nike and the the NFL and Kaepernick. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Serena, um, you know, over the past weekend with the U.S. Open, and it's always, I, I mean, a lot of us probably are tennis fans just because of the Williams sisters, right? Like, they, they bought tennis to uh, the whole generation of us. Um, and and it's been amazing, you know, by now everyone probably has already seen, like, you know, the video and some of the critique as well as the many defenses of Serena and when she um, very forcefully and rightfully, in my opinion, um, defended not only herself but her integrity. But there was a caption I saw in a post that Serena's, you know, defense and stance in that final match of the U.S. Open was the defense that every black woman was a moment that every black woman knows. And thinking about my own life, thinking about my own space, just even thinking about the past year, right? And my own interactions and conversations regarding uh, matters of uh, uh, 
toxic masculinity, white supremacy, deeply entrenched in progressive liberal oriented spaces. Like I know that moment very well when it is you're treated as if you're the problem when an injustice and wrong is being done to you and you are daring to speak out and raise raise it. And I've seen some of the critiques from some folks that, you know, I respect their viewpoints and I've like really been bothered, but it's not unexpected because it's like you're a white man. So at the end of the day, no matter how great your politics are in theory, if you're still living, breathing, existing as a white man without the conscientious effort to dismantle within yourself the socialization that has unfortunately been put upon you, like, that's a problem. And we don't all have to be in every place and exert our energy in a particular way. And I commend Serena for deciding that she was going to take a stand against what was wrong and how she very, you know, she just did not hold back. She wasn't demure and dainty. She just let it all, you know, she just let it. It was emotional. It was real. It was raw. And there's a, a list I saw this morning of like men in recent years, even in this same earlier tournament, who had issues with this umpire Ramos. And like, it, 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 the hypocrisy is glaring. It's there. So the, the policing... The, 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 she shouldn't have done this or she's just a bad sport or whatever it is. It's like when you have an entire system that is set up to control, to marginalize, to micromanage your very existence. At what point do we allow people just to be? Can I just, can I live? Can I be? And that's what I felt from Serena. And so there, there are quite a few really good articles that came out like the next day, basically in the last couple of days. And there's some pretty good thought out there. But I just need to say like I, that really resonated with me. And there's so much work that we're doing, particularly as we're in this moment. Everyone's like, oh, trust black women and let women of color lead. And that sounds all well and good. But like, I'm not really interested in putting my time and energy into fixing stuff that everyone else broke as if we're just magical and we're going to make everything better. And there's no accountability for anyone else in that process and space who is not a black woman or a woman of color. Right. Um, that and then also like. Or when we are able to finally step into leadership or we're, we're, we're in like, you know, a, a, a authoritative role to some extent. And this is not, this is, this is not, you know, absolutely true for everyone across the board. There, there are definitely, you know, issues with people, you know, regardless of gender and race and their leadership styles, et cetera. But there is, you know, a general default into the difference and the disparity in how we are treated, how we are trusted to lead, advise, and engage as leaders in thought, leaders in strategy across the board, whether it's progressives, whether it's, you know, corporatist dims, um, the only ones that seem to be doing an okay job of letting their quote-unquote women of color are Republicans, but then, like, those are, like, some of the craziest, we might as well be white men type of people anyway, who are out here trying to destroy everything. Like, I'm looking at you, Candace Owens. So anyway, so, like, it's just so much going on right now, and I just need to, like, share just my, my brief, really, thoughts about um, Serena Williams, because I look at her, and I look at the whole conversation around the Nike, and like I said, you'll hear my thoughts, more of my thoughts about it, and while I do believe, like, Nike is, like, this corporatist entity, blah, 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 but at the same time, like, it's, it's, even as I say this, I know they are a business, and they recognize the love and support and the vast community that exists around Serena Williams, and the commodification of black defiance notwithstanding, I am still, like, there's a part of me, and this is the tension that we, we all have to grapple with, part of me is still like, huh, that's pretty cool that she can be her, fearlessly her, unapologetically her, and she'll still have their backing. Now, again, like I said, commodification of black defiance, I see that, and I get it, but there is still something, because a lot of people, even amongst, you know, our progressive faces, pay lip service to that but how many people do we know have been cast aside for being their authentic defiant freeborn black selves right i know quite a few people and and although i've been reassured with my current job that that's not my reality at the same time there's still that lingering fear that you know we can only be bold and black so bold and so black to an extent before the white people decide it's time for us to get going and, and, and that's something that, you know, as we work through this stuff, as we make demands upon the movements and the spaces that we are definitely a part of organizing, building and growing organizations, but like not every space is for everybody. And like I recently posted on, on Twitter that I need to step away from DSA 
whether that's a permanent, I'm never going to join you people ever again, renew my membership type of step away, or I'm just stepping away because I need to step back and focus my full heart, effort, and soul on what is happening in terms of these different electoral races I'm involved in. I think that it is it is definitely upon us as black and brown organizers that we need to think about what is the most productive and meaningful use of our time in these spaces. That does not mean that we cannot work in coalition and partnership with folks, but I am tired of being the lone voice trying to raise awareness on particular issues and if folks don't want to listen, then go do some janky-ish their own way. Um, and that's not directed at anyone in particular. That's just like just where I'm coming from as I'm 37, I'm raising vibrant teenagers. I have elderly parents, well, aging parents. I don't think my parents would appreciate being called elderly. But there's so much, it's so much work. And if, I'm, if we're putting all of our time and energy into building up white-led spaces that aren't willing to dismantle white supremacy and deconstruct the marginalization of us within their spaces, and then there are these different black and brown led efforts that could certainly use that same capacity, energy, you know, input. And again, not saying that those are panacea is a perfect places either, but like if I got to struggle and if I got to make headway, at least I need to do it in space with people who understand where I'm coming from and are willing to respect that. So that is just my brief intro for right there. Definitely love and appreciate you all. We are grinding. Like we got about 56, 55 more days to go to election day. Again, like I tell everybody, if electoral politics is not for you and you don't see any value in any of these races that are happening around you, if there's someone that you do see value in, but they, maybe they're not happy to be where you are locally, please reach out, figure out how you can support them. I mean, or there's other work being done in terms of accountability and what does it look like to hold these elected officials. We should not be waiting until after election day to hold elected officials accountable. I know one thing that's come up recently has been folks, you know, kind of getting a little... you know, upset with Andrew Graham and some of the language in his in Twitter posts as of late, right? It's kind of shifted. His policies on his platform haven't shifted per se, but just the way he's, you know, discussing things on social media. Um, I definitely think that there, there are those voters, organized supporters on the ground in Florida, people who have been really, folks need to figure out a way, like how do we reach out and address this with the campaign as we're continuing to build what we believe is necessary to overcome DeSantis? I do not think that we need to put our issues aside to support anyone. I think we need to be able to address what our issues are, how we want to push people. And then if you still feel you have the energy that you can still do it while being consistent and true to your authentic self, you continue to support them. We should not be forced any longer to not call people out on stuff or call people in or address what we need to address while continuing to build forward. Because there's a lot at stake. There's always a lot at stake, but we have a very important time right now at the same time as we have the potential to move conversations and actually push people who are saying they stand on certain values to make sure they're showing us that consistently across the board right um so really exciting work happening around down the line i'm super excited because i think i finally got the itunes thing straightened out yay um and i'm just a proud mama bear you know what i'm saying my daughter's a senior it's just a lot going on But I am here with you guys. I love y'all all all so much for all your support. Check out this episode. Let me know what you think. Like, subscribe, and share. Check it out. Peace. What's up, everybody? Um, You know, technical difficulties. I know it's black black people and our excuses for why we be late on stuff. I know I owe you guys another episode. I'm still locked out of my iTunes, unfortunately, and I'm trying to get it straightened out. And my website's a mess. But... Because your girl Anoa is still here, rock with you. Um, welcome to another edition of The Way with Anoa. All of my excuses aside, because the kids would probably tell me excuses are tools of the weak and incompetent, use the monuments of nothingness, and we don't want to build monuments of nothingness. We want to do all the things, and there's so much going on right now, and I definitely had to weigh in. It's really cool that there are people who've been rocking with me pretty much at the very beginning of my, like, Twitter political Nazism, whatever it is I've been doing, political commentary life. And it's great to be able to bring people on who's in, in commentary that I also respect. Um, because, you know, as much as it's great to have big name guests, etc., it's also great to have people who just know what the hell they're talking about and can have good conversations. So I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves. Yes. Hi. How are you? Hello. 
Hello, hello. Um, I guess I should say that um, my name is... People just call me Twitter Q. Twitter handle if you want to. Yeah. People, you know what I'm saying? People call me Q, but my government name, because I ain't got no fear. Uh, my name is Miles Quarles. I'm a student, a uh, student organizer at VCU. Uh, you know, kind of like a bridge. If you know me around campus, to say what's up. Also on Twitter at Q Got No Rings. Uh, resident communist, resident, you know, political. I guess you could say commentator. Just you know, jack of all trades, screenwriter. But more importantly, a person that just actually gives a crap about you know trying to help people and trying to get our people out of this situation. So. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what you want to call me. Q is what I prefer, though. But, you know, anything <laughs> is cool. That works. That works. Most definitely really excited that we are doing this and having this conversation. And y'all know one of my taglines has been good conversations with good people doing good work. This brother has been rocking with me for quite some time. I don't know if it's just since the very beginning when I first started with Ben, but definitely has been a long time. And we have some really great conversations back and forth. But finally, I was like, yo, want to have this conversation? And he was like, yeah. So we were actually going to talk, I think, about Sorry to Bother You or Black Klansmen. I can't remember what we were originally going to talk about. And y'all One didn't of those. with life, unfortunately, you know, kids and work and stuff. But that's also a really good conversation. And I check out, um, I had some of that conversation with Terrain previously, um, Torian previously on um SoundCloud because like I said iTunes is down but in the interim what has happened is we have the Cory Booker photo that I put up today we have Nike and the ad and you know the mixed reaction around their support for um Colin Kaepernick as well as you know tonight's the NFL we're recording right now and it's the NFL season opener thinking about you know commodification of black activism in particular um Mm -hmm has been a thing historically i mean we, we i think one of the most egregious examples we saw you know of course we saw what was it the the kylie jenner which one which jenner kid, kid? oh that was kylie. uh i think that was kendall where she did the whole kendall. pepsi thing it was kendall kendall was the was the pepsi commercial, right i mean we saw you know um dodge using mlk right to sell yeah. vehicles like earlier during the super bowl so um, but this has been an issue for quite some time. And and so, you know, I know what I thought, and it's really, you know, I've been snarky about the Nike thing and got my Facebook friends all up in a, in a, in a tizzy fit um, about Nike. And folks are bringing up some valid issues about Nike and their human rights issues and, and economic justice, et cetera. So off top, I'm happy for Cap, right? I mean, like, way to stick it to the man. Like Nike got the big license and arrangement that it has with the NFL, and it's like, ha ha ha, y'all won't hire mm-hmm. him. We still got him on the payroll. Jersey still be selling. He's getting that guap, as my brother would say. Cool. Mm-hmm. The hustler in me is like, yo, do your thing, brother. And we know he's he's definitely been doing good work and been donating money and putting his actions to his words, right? So that's the one mm-hmm. side. The other side of me is like, man, Nike done got you, you, you black people suckers. Like y'all think <laughs> I said Nike gonna come do something, come through, and oh, we need to buy Nike stock. Oh, let's go buy Tim. The last pair of Nikes I bought for myself was probably about a couple of years, ago, and my mom now has them because they're still in decent shape, and she wanted them, and I was just like, whatever. I barely wear sneakers. That's mm-hmm. another story. <laughs> My current pair of sneakers came from Target. I don't know anything about Target's human rights abuses, but they were $15. Don't hate me. Um, don't at me either. But my son, the complexity I have, though, is my son. Like, I have a student athlete. You know, especially if you're a young black man in America, a teenager, you're probably wearing a pair of Nikes. Like, that's probably what's happening. And so um, it, it is a struggle. And I won't buy them unless they're on sale. I have a lot of conditions for him before he can get them. And folks can, you know, say whatever vitriol you have about that. But, like, the, the reality is it's very, very difficult um, parenting, you know, kids who are athletes and popular and all that complexity that goes into that. And, sure, it's really easy to, to tell my kid that um, that shouldn't matter. But, uh, yeah. So, it, so it's really interesting with all this. It's like Nike knew what it was doing. It's a big, smart business move. But my daughter today said something really interesting to me. She's she's my oldest. She's a senior. Mm-hmm. She said to me, when she saw the Colin Kaepernick commercial for her, 
And again, she's someone who's very snarky. She actually prefers Adidas because they're wider with um, usually and they fit her feet better. But she said the commercial, you know, from the advertisement supporting Serena, like all this stuff, it just meant a lot to her in terms of representation and seeing, you know, like for kids out there really doing it. And and so their generation's a little different. So I, I had to take what she was saying into consideration too. She's like, yeah, mom, I feel you. Like, of course, they're they're big, bad corporation. But at least they're putting out something that I can look at and be like, yeah, because I'm not seeing anybody else doing this. And I said, okay, well, maybe there's something to, you know, corporate responsibility. I'm still not willing to give up on Nike as being an evil corporation. But Q, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, there's so much to like really unpack here. But I uh-huh. think I should start the. I think I should start at the fact that, um, you know, get your money cap. Um, I will. <laughs> I, I do want to preference this. I do want to preference this because. Just thinking about how, what well, I think it's like what a third of the medical expenses in the, in the United States are covered with, by GoFundMe type of, um, you know, things and uh, raising money from strangers on the internet. So I have to keep that in mind because the reason why that's important to me is um, I'm just privy to a campaign being started for a couple of Black Panthers who are, mm-hmm. you know, currently, you know, in hospice care and, you know, that really need the money and, there are certain, you know, other people that have been riders for the movement, for this liberation movement, that are currently swamped with medical bills, and they're not being taken care of the way that they should be. The reason why that's important for me to point out is because I think it's hypocritical for us in this work to point down and, you know, wag our finger at people for getting money from unethical sources when the fact of the matter is that this is all unethical. All this money that we're getting, all this money that we're exchanging, it's coming from somewhere, from something that's been exploited. Obviously, I don't want to take it to the extreme where we should just ignore the people that are being exploited and not try to make and try to make the most, uh, I guess you could say, ethical choices amongst the most unethical, you know what I'm saying? Trying to do what's best and trying to use use caution, trying to, you know, kind of in the same way in which you're telling your son uh, that we should, you know, only get them if, if they're on sale or if they're at Marshalls or if they're at Ross, you know what I'm saying? Those are good choices. The reason why I think that's important to point out is because if Kaepernick 20 years from now in some alternate universe could, took this stand and now he's, you know, in a retirement home, he can afford, he can't even afford to pay his bills. He don't have health care. Where is his day in the sun? When is that going to come for him where everyone in the community who gained from his sacrifice, where are they at to take care of him then? And I think that that has to be posed because there's so many people in this work who are not getting, like, a Phoenix Shakur died broke. Like, no one, like, like, no one really talks about, like, 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 nobody talks about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one really thinks about what all these Black Panthers and all these Black Guerrilla Army people are doing right now at 60, 70 years old who really put in that work. Not everybody's Angela Davis. Not not everybody's touring around the world getting, you know, a stipend to speak about abolishing prisons. So a lot of them are dying broke and destitute. So on one hand, I'm proud that Cab was able to, you know, get on the back end and say, ask you to Nike and throw up a finger. But on the other hand, there is the complication of corporations don't have morals, they have interests. And that's just the fact of the matter is that their interest is co-opting another another movement trying to, you know, use the black radical aesthetic to sell sneakers and to sell people socks and to sell people shorts, to sell people clothing, so they can feel like as though that their activism is tied to their consumption. And that's not activism. Consumption is not activism. I don't care what charity it goes to. I don't, I don't, that's not activism. When you're consuming a product from a company that uses slave labor, that uses child labor, that uses a very gendered type of labor in which the women in Vietnamese Nike camps can't even take a day off when they're on their menstruation cycle. That's a problem. And that's the two, that's the two sides to this coin that is very troubling to me. Cause on one hand, I want to be proud for cap and I want to be happy and raise my fist up on the other side. The internationalism in me is coming out and saying that this is BS and we're being tricked. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I I think I like how you tied in thinking about those who put bodies and time and life and 
lost family members and opportunity on the line in terms of like, when we think about black power movement struggle work, right? Like I think about my own dad, my stepdad, um, and you know, him now retirement age and thinking about, you know, the struggle to get him certain benefits and, and assistance. And I mean, mm-hmm. dude is still very able-bodied and stuff like that, but I'm like the blessing, he's, he's Muslim. So I was, I was, I was saying to him, I was like, you know, dad, I got a, I got, I got a little, you know, change put aside. I want to send him on Hajj, right? And at first, he was like, mm-hmm. like, nah, nah, nah. And so, um, you know, for those not familiar, like, you know, Hajj is a big deal for Muslims, right? And mm-hmm. my father not being able to afford to make Hajj, like, that's something he turned seven this year, and that's something I want to make happen for him. So finally, he relented because I was like, just thank Allah that you've been blessed enough with children who care about mm-hmm. you enough to make this happen because there are so many of our folks who either gave up years and years and years of their life. There's so many who are still um, incarcerated now, right? Who have health. Mm -hmm. So, so I do appreciate raising that awareness about, and even thinking about when Cap is, you know, of older age, all these people has helped, like who will be there. And I mean, while it might be slightly different because he is the person he has access to money he has now, Mm I think when we look at a lot of different people, though, that's a really good point about when people are dying without and not having um, the support that they need. But like thinking about this Nike thing, it really is hard. It really is hard to be quote unquote woke or conscious or whatever. I think I prefer the term conscious versus woke because woke is so annoying as a terminology. (laughs) And it's the complexity of like raising kids and like buying clothes and things like that. Like, we still live and exist in a capitalist society as much ideologically as, you know, we struggle through that. And I think these types of conversations about what does that mean and not just, oh, this is okay because Nike's doing a good thing, even if they have ulterior motives. I think we have to really struggle and work through that. I'm like, really like, it's, it's actually alarming to me when people are like, oh, mm-hmm. Nike or Amazon did this. So yeah, they're doing all these horrible things, but look at this one good thing they did. It's like, yeah, but that's a drop in the bucket compared to like how they're impacting the world and not in mm-hmm. a very deliberate manner differently. Mm-hmm. So from a parenting standpoint, like again, have teens. My daughter's a little bit better. Like she likes thrifting and stuff like that. My son, he's coming around a little bit because it's a little bit easier with these kids today because they, they kind of have a different style about them. So you can get away with not wearing the most latest sneakers because when I grew up in the 90s you either were getting shot because of your shoes or you were getting ostracized because you didn't even have anything in the realm of what was the latest so Mm. the anxiety of having name brand things might have been more maybe when I was a kid than it is for mine now but I do know from like a basketball shoe perspective if you're going to be taken seriously on the court as a teenage boy if you're not wearing certain shoes, like that's just like, even when you think about like some of the things coaches say to kids, right? Like there's a cultural thing in terms of our consumptiveness of brands like Nike. And I think that mm-hmm. when, you know, what's happening right now, even as Nike is standing so strong with cap, but also acknowledging that they have all these financial ties to the NFL as people are preparing to, you know, today's the first night of the, the, the season and people are boycotting, et cetera. Like how do we actually grapple with, um, boycotting uh and and financial boycotts and these corporate relationships as we're moving through like our work and then at the same time we're celebrating people who are in partnership with the entities that we're boycotting Mm -hmm. i think there's just just such so much to parse out but i think i think i want to pivot because Mm -hmm. when we talk about the material needs and the material conditions of our people and not just our people but people on the bottom we think about the fact that people don't have health care. We think about the fact that people don't have access to college. We think about the fact that people don't even have access to just basic reading materials. We don't really talk about illiteracy in this country. So that's something that like, we can bring up, too. We can talk about more immediate issues like child care. The fact of the matter is that mothers are being gouged out for, you know, just a babysitter or just, you know, the most, you know, like, like just the most uh, regular of daycare needs. Just those, just raise those couple of issues, those regular things that people need. How in the world can we, on the bottom, procure the capital to meet the material needs of enough people that it makes a dent? Because this whole capitalist society, that there's so many cracks in this in this capitalist society, and I like to paint this picture of like 
when you think about revolution, you think about, you know, it being a process. You have to imagine this for me, almost like a dam and how behind this dam is all the capital and all the ills of society that are being protected by this capitalist society. But in this capitalist society, on this on on the wall of the dam, there's so many cracks and the cracks are the people doing the work. The cracks are the people raising that awareness. So it's like there's a little crack here, there's a little crack there. But the fact of the matter is, how do we hone in on the cracks enough to where we can actually make a dent and then some water starts to come through to the point where the whole thing comes crashing down? That has to be met somehow. And the re- way you do that is, for me, organizing 101 is simply meet the material needs of the people. So if people need food, if people need shelter, people need clothing, if people need childcare, if people need hygiene products, there has to be a way in which that capital can fund that. Mm-hmm. So on a, on, a, on a very rudimentary level, it's great if mom and pop shops around the corner can give you $600, $700 to go rent a truck and, you know, pass out chickens on Thanksgiving, that, that's cool. That's cool if you can go get, you know, a couple of little small toothpaste things and a couple of to-go toothbrushes and pass them out to people at Union, Union Station. All my DC people know what that is. So you, it's cool if you can do that. But where's the real cracks coming from? If it's only a couple of people and a couple organizations that only have the ability to do so much because they themselves are people on the bottom trying to serve people who are further on the bottom than they are. It's hard to do that. So I don't condemn Cap for doing this because the money has to come from somewhere. And it has to be a complete visible and and a complete system of accountability in which Cap takes this money and does what he does with it. So if we know that Cap has been giving to organizations and giving to local organizers, then I would like to think that that same pattern is going to continue. Um, Just because I like somebody doesn't mean I can't be critical and doesn't mean that I shouldn't have, just because that you took a stand doesn't mean that you still aren't part of a petty bourgeois system and you have access to money. So Cap, you know, by definition, he is petty bourgeois. He has my money. But thing is, though, is that petty bourgeois people can commit class suicide. Mm-hmm. Petty bourgeois mm-hmm. people can be class traitors. So I do know that. But the fact of the matter is, is that there has to be a system of accountability where we have to see what Cap is doing with that money. So it can't just be a one type of thing where we just clap our hands together and put our hands together for Cap and be like, damn, you really did, did that shit, dude. Instead, it has to be a system where we say, oh, Cap, what is being done with this money? Who is this money going to? How much are they giving you? Because at this point, you said you've given up everything. And I don't want to be all up in your pockets, but we have to be all up in your pockets. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, if you're going to get money from this corporation that does slave labor and uses slave labor to put checks on shoes, then we have to know where that money is going to. So if Cap is getting forty million dollars a year, or you know forty million dollars for his whole contract, and he's he's putting thirty thirty nine million into the people, I'm with that one hundred percent. The money has Absolutely. to come from somewhere. I think that's a really great analysis, and I, what I appreciate what this is what I really do love, and I do need to like interact with some more of y'all to do this conversation because I'll admit, right? You know, your girl's a little old and rusty at times. No, I'm not that old, but um, like sometimes my class analysis, and as much as I rail against people who are horrible in terms of their intersection of race and class, I at least acknowledge that my class analysis is not always the strongest. But you guys, I do know how to pull in people who do have a stronger grasp class-wise on things so that we can have these conversations. Like, I gotta come recognize the problems, but then I can also point you guys to people who have a better understanding of it than I do to start talking about what we can do. And I really think that this is a really strong point when I think about the commentary around what is happening. And and when we talk about expropriating funds, right, and we were talking earlier about, like, you know, movement leaders and, and activists from the 60s and 70s, um, this just using the Phoenix Shakur and others as example, you know, Black Panthers, mm-hmm. Black Liberation Army folks, we think about expropriating funds. This is a very different way, right, of thinking about how are we liberating capital from particular structures and then possibly, potentially, like, let's see how far CAP goes. Because 
it is very well likely he was doing what he was doing within the confines of whatever his other contract was after he lost what was his full-time job, you know, now that mm-hmm. he expanded more access. Well, let's see like how and what he's going to do with that. Right. Like, so I do appreciate that, that pivot in that conversation. And, and I, and I thank you for introducing the concept to us about, uh, uh, you know, remember the, the, the petite bourgeoisie committing class suicide, right? And what that concept is about. And and we so often, like, even right now, as we're looking like, you know, there was a whole uproar brouhaha over AOC and whether or not she was really working class growing up because she grew up mm-hmm. in New York. You know, um, I can't think of this. This is Salazar right now. New York has something similar happening. But, like, there are these people who can, despite their own upbringing, despite their own, you know, current relationship to wealth and class, et cetera, like you're saying, can make these particular choices in a very, you know, concrete way to reject certain um, benefits possibly within the class strata to limp to, to, to utilize their existence to help move movement objectives further, right? And and I think that's a really interesting point to make in the context of CAP in this Nike deal. Nike obviously gets the benefit that it gets, but if CAP is using and leveraging whatever additional platform and access to really drive work. How do we make sure that we're keeping the integrity and sanctity, so to speak, of our movement spaces at the same time as we're leveraging? Because I think that's one of the challenges, right? Because even when you think about mm-hmm. work for white-led orgs or get funding from white-led orgs in their own work, like if you're getting grants from like, you know, from whatever organization to do your work, there is that weird dance that we then have to do to make sure that we can keep our work, which, which, which I think is cool though, but the difference is what CAP is, his relationship is very different with Nike than I think he probably has a lot more freedom to do what needs to be done in terms of moving work forward than a lot of us who are dependent upon either, you know, white led nonprofits or their grant making institutions, because there really is a clear mandate and often dic- dic- you know, dictated uh, goal or outcome in, re- in return. Mm-hmm. And this is just his, his salary that he's now, you know, leveraging to do this work. Exactly. It it calls upon to me like the memory of a civil rights movement where Robin D.G. Kelly, one of, one of my favorite historians, made this point that people often look at the civil rights movement as being this mass movement. And mm-hmm. the way that he defines being a mass movement is very much plain in, in the name, where you have masses of people across the nation coming together for this one common goal. The same way how in 1917, you have the Russian Revolution, it's a mass movement because all the people Eastern Europe came together and said, you know what, the czar got to go. Um, very, very plainly put. I hate, you know, it's a sidebar. I hate being overly intellectual and trying to make a simple point. So I mm. like to just like break things down very simply because I hate things. The one thing I hate about communists so much is how we like love to use all this Marxist jargon and act like people know what the hell that means. So. I'm just going to be very plain. And the fact of the matter is that when, when we talk about the civil rights movement and we talk about mass movements, this cap thing brings to mind how during the civil rights movement that we would have mom and pop owners who would be classified as petty bourgeois people supporting the movement, giving space to people in SNCC, giving space even all the way up to the 70s where we had the Black Panthers. Um, so they would give space and they would actually fund and they would actually feed and they would actually house. So those petty bourgeois people had a role that they were that they knew how to how to uh, how to actually play. Mm-hmm. So if Cap is going to use his position as a man with access w- to these circles of of billionaires and you know all these you know staunch capitalists, if he's going to use that role to not only advocate but to also put people who do the work hashtag the, the work uh, mm-hmm. in the room with those people. And perhaps, you know, in spaces where they normally wouldn't be so they can actually affect that material change, not only in their communities, but across the board, then that's just what has to happen. Because I'm going to tell you right now, like I said before, there's too many of our people who've done the work so many years ago and continue to do the work who are on their deathbeds with mountains of debt, with mountains of bills, and nobody's there. So if Cab is going to use his position and petty bourgeoisie to actually put those people in the positions where they can actually affect the material change, then that's just what we will have to monitor. 
I want to put onus on monitor because nobody is, is above co-opting. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's above that. Cap could very well come out the, the next day with like a red vest on and be like, everything's great, y'all. Like Nike gave me everything I needed and they're going to give some money to police reform. That's not what we need. We need to keep an eye on this. The same thing that, that we need to keep an eye on everybody else who has money and access but claims to be for the people. So mm-hmm. I think that I think that closing those remarks with this one simple fact is that corporations do not have morals. Corporations don't have feelings. Corporations have interest. And Nike made a calculated move where they probably did the math. They probably had their whole room full of tech bros who are good at math. They went to Harvard, MIT. They know all the, you know, the, they know how to do trigonometry, all that stuff. They had this whole room of people do the calculation of if we lose the MAGA crowd, how much money do you think we could lose? Do the estimation. Huh, well, I think that we could do this and that, but we have to keep in mind that, you know, we also have a black audience. So they did the calculation and they said, you know what? There's such a uproar and there's such a support for cap that I think that we could take the hit and gain more people who probably boycotted us before because they thought that we didn't care about black and brown people. So I'm seeing it now on Twitter and, you know, Twitter is obviously a microcosm. It's obviously just an echo chamber. But I do think that Twitter does hold some type of material value in real life because it's like the place where people can go to speak about things that they don't feel comfortable or don't have the space to do in the real life. So they did the calculation. I think that they found that they could take the hit and gain more supporters because people support Cap. I know that very I know that very well because, you know, what I did as soon as I saw Cap Neil, I bought a Cap jersey and it's got a Nike check on the back. I'm not above that, so I can know that somebody out there with not as much class analysis as me did the same exact thing. Yep. No, I mean I agree, and 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 that's the, that 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 goes back to my conversation because NFL licensed apparel. This is taking me back ten years to my moot court com- competition, my three L year. Uh, I did a sports law competition um, down at Tulane because you know. <laughs> And for those who think sports law is easy, no, it's advanced labor law contracts, et cetera. So that was our, our hypothetical had to do with, um, it was NBA jerseys, which also have, you know, the, the light and licensed apparel and stuff like that. But anyway, um, so what's, what's really interesting though, I'm, a shift, I'm doing a hard, hard pivot now, you know, to kind of move our conversation a little bit forward. Uh, thinking about today and Cory Booker and the picture I posted, um, but also Cory Booker's stance today in the in the Kavanaugh hearings. I mean, you know, shout out to Kamala Harris and Cory Booker for giving Kavanaugh's business. I mean, they're definitely, regardless of what we think about them politically, they are showing up with some spine right now um, in this confirmation process. Uh, there's like 20-some Democrats who I wish we could say, or however many who are undecided or whatever, wish we could say the same for all of them. Not that we really have faith in the Democrats when it comes to this type of stuff, but Watching Kamala Harris, you know, rub her temple as she's calling out Kavanaugh for lying yesterday. And then we got Cory Booker, like, you know, bump it. I don't care if y'all kick me out the Senate. I'm breaking protocol. Release the damn <laughs> emails. Like, it's this is another one of the moments where I'm so torn. Like, I want to be like, yes, come through. But then I'm like, ooh, I don't trust you. <laughs> exactly. Why I posted that picture. Um, during the opening weekend of the lynching memorial and museum um, in, in Montgomery, Alabama, I was there with my godmother and my daughter. I mean, not my daughter, my sister. We were there for that whole weekend. Amazing, amazing. If anyone can get to Montgomery and go see it, definitely worth the trip. But um, we made the drive over and we were there and it was really amazing. And one of the things that I got to do, I was there, I got to be kind of backstage and I actually put that picture up like right away. But I, we also met Corey Bubba. <laughs> They had been all they had all been on stage together and met Brittany Packnett. Um, so you know, got to meet Corey Brooker and got a picture with him, but I was really ambivalent about putting the picture up. And the picture, it looks like I'm not happy. Or somebody was like, Were you forced to take this picture? I wasn't forced, I took the picture, but I was caught off guard because we were rushing, so I didn't get a chance to actually smile. And then I was like in the I was trying to say something smart to him about you need to pay attention and listen to black progressives. I can't remember exactly what I was trying to say. So I got caught and I looked. I looked so unsure about being there, which is really actually, mm-hmm. I felt, so it was really, I thought it was a cool picture. And I was like, I'm going to hold on to this and wait for the right time. And today I think 
today, you know, was how I felt with, you know, seeing the celebratoriness of, of Cory Booker, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, but can I, but, but, but I don't feel like I can trust you completely. You know, I mean, I guess we can't really trust anyone in politics completely, right? But like with Cory mm-hmm. Booker in particular and Kamala Harris, like I do have this, I won't say hate, but like I'm side-eyeing you so hard when you do the quote unquote right thing. Like, cause you're gonna disappoint me in, in the next, you know, few days probably anyway. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's my Cory Booker picture story. Like I was like, nah, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's hard because I want to be, I want to support, I want to be rooting for everybody black. I want to have that excitement. I want to have that Issa Rae feel about this. But what we know from our history with black politicians, I mean, because politicians are politicians, right? And we have to hold mm-hmm. them. Well, you know, my mayor, I got a mayor named Keisha. Hey, but Keisha <laughs> pushed. A lot on a lot, and she's making some good moves. But you know, we can't act like Keisha's just doing things because Keisha's a Keisha, and that's what Keisha's do. Keisha's doing exactly. because of the very organized grassroots effort that exists here through various organizations and or individual organizers and activists here on the ground who've been pushing her on, like the the Atlanta Detention Center and an ICE. Uh, contract, et cetera, who've been pushing her on ending cash bail. I mean, there have been some major victories that have been happened since she was uh, inaugurated, but that has come from the community, right? Not just because she's a girl named Keisha from the, from, from the SWATs. Like, unfortunately, that we, we, exactly. that's, and that's, you know, Booker was, was mayor of uh, Newark, right? Like, that doesn't yeah. mean much in the context of what we see in terms of Black politicians and what they do. So we have to hold them accountable and have that conversation about accountability. But I was just, I know, I know, I, when I showed you the picture, you were like, oh, we definitely got to talk about this. But that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's utterly hilarious. You know, just a quick point on that. I just think that <sighs> politicians do everything within calculation, you know, the same way as corporations. Power is always calculating every single angle in which power can be taken from it. Um, and I think that they always have contingency plans for if A happens, then we go with plan B. If plan B falls under, then we go with plan C. They know every single angle that's going to be taken. And I think that that's the reason why we have to get organized is because power, like like we said, like Frederick Douglass says, that famous quote, power concedes nothing without struggle. It's the same thing here. Um the same thing about Rahm Emanuel in Chicago. Yeah. People, you know, as as as, as much as I want to be like, we got one, they might have one. Because it's like, you know, it's like it's like almost on some like, you know what? It's time for me to move out of here and actually go to be the president now. We we don't know what Rahm is going to do. We don't know what Corey's going to do. It's the same thing about how Kamala Harris says that she plans to sponsor a bill for Medicare for all. But when it's time to actually do it, she's like, oh, the provisions aren't right. You know, it's just those type of things where we want to cheer for you, dude. We, we really want to be there for you. But we know that you're calculating. We know that this is political theater. And we know that, that, that you're posturing at the end of the day for another move. And I think that that's also, you know, indicative of what Keisha just did in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. With uh, I, th- I think she just ended, did, did she just end the ice the- detainees there uh i think that yeah, was the, the news that came out yeah at the detention center yeah and, that, and, and yeah, everyone's so. cheering keisha but that goes to like i said so many local organizers and organizations and so much work that's been going on going exactly and i think that once again i think atlanta's doing incredible work but that that has nothing to do with Keisha coming to this moral you know awakening it has to do with the fact that like you said organizers have put that foot on her neck and actually made her be like, you know what? I got to do this because the perception is going to get way, way worse for me. And it's going to, and it's about to be incredibly loud out here for me. If I don't make this move, I think that Rom felt the same pressure in Chicago. I want to give a shout out to all the organizers, all the people that are putting in that work out there. So shout out my boy, Charles Preston, because they're putting in work. And I think that that's, uh, you know, just indicative of how the power is, thing that the people are organizing and that goes back to my statement about how we're seeing cracks in this dam we just got to keep the pressure on but you know keeping back to Corey and kamala like cool at the best case scenario the best case scenario i was telling ben earlier was this is a, this is a two birds one stone 
where, all right, we get some Republicans exposed. Perhaps we can bring some charges. And, all right, maybe Cory Booker gets kicked out. His seat gets vacated. We, we can get a progressive in there. Who knows? That's the best case I can see for it. But right now, my, you know, my jaded brain is telling me that this is going to be another thing that we forget about in a couple of days because Corey's going to sponsor a bill to nationalize charter schools. <laughs> you know, it's just another one of those things. No, yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, just wrapping up here. I mean, I think that I think it's I think it's one of these weird moments where we can be in the moment like, OK, cool, good looks. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. But at the same time, keeping the context and understanding of the broader issues that are driving why we're ambivalent towards people, particular people, right? Like, if you all of a sudden, like somebody, <laughs> I mean, I just think back like The Walking Dead or something like that. Like somebody who's a murderer from season one, I mean, they may have made their way in the community or whatever by season two, but you still <laughs> close eye on them all the way to season five and maybe still ain't even elevate them to leadership all the way because, you know, you got to sleep one eye open because they might decide to just go back to their old ways. So I think, you know, in terms of Cory Booker, like I, I, you know, some I had a friend say to me, well, like, I think if a group of us could sit down with him, I was like, yeah, I mean, I think if we could sit down with quite a few people, we might be able to get something done. But that means we have to get past all their corporate handlers, et cetera. And I don't see that happening. So we have to continue to build and figure out what we're doing and how we're moving our own agendas. We need to be looking at what are people's agendas beyond electoral realm. I mean, you know, I'm someone who advocates very much for the electoral space, not just because it's now my my job, but because I believe it matters, particularly when we're talking about the local level, state and local level. But at the same time, what are we doing beyond voting, right? Because we have to be continuously and not just show up to the polls because it's our quote unquote duty um, because people died for our right to vote, which I hate that rationalization. Giving people, Mm. you know, shout out to uh, uh, Latasha Brown with Black Voters Matter who said like, yeah, but people are living now. And and that was, she said in such a way, it wasn't disrespectful to the elders in the room who were making that point. But the fact that we got to grapple with the conditions of our people right now and what does mm. it mean to be engaging people to vote, not just in some symbolic gesture to our ancestors and predecessors, but in a way that actually leverages meaningful action for our condition right now and beyond mm-hmm. just voting, right? So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm so happy you came and joined me to chat. We definitely need to do this again. Certainly. Easily. <laughs> this was incredibly fun. Great. <laughs> well, y'all stay stay tuned because I have more content coming. Um, you know, it's a it's another primary night, Delaware. Uh we'll see what's going on and checking in. And y'all roll with me on Twitter for that. But I'm a I'm a I'm 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 doing this. I'm moving forward and I just need y'all to keep hanging in there with me for these good conversations, good people doing good work. I promise I'm gonna get the iTunes situation straightened out again. Uh, but this has been another edition of Noah. Peace.